Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic body-based practices with so many real life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to barrytesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir. memoir. Today, I have the honor of talking with Teresa Reed, a.k.a. the Tarot Lady, has been a full-time Tarot card reader for close to 30 years. She's the author of the Tarot Coloring Book, an illustrated tour through the world of Tarot with coloring sheets of every card in the deck. I also want you all to know that I have been going to Teresa Reed every few months for, I don't know, maybe five years at this point. I go to her to receive a tarot reading about business questions that I have, about business direction, about registrations that are coming up, and really any big decisions that I'm making. And recently, after all these years, I got to meet her live in Boulder, Colorado when she was speaking on her book tour at the Boulder Bookstore and got to have a private dinner with our husbands together. That was amazing. Welcome, Teresa. Hi, Barry. Thank you so much for having me uh, here today. I'm so excited. Me too. Me too. So I always like to ask you first to please share a little snapshot of your family, your work life right now to start us off. And then we'll start diving into questions more about your relationship to money. So please share a little bit about this. Sure, absolutely. I am uh, happily married, and I've been with my husband for many years. I have two grown adult children, and they are both in their 30s, so they are off doing their own thing right now. Um, One is a very accomplished musician. The other is a very accomplished writer. So we're kind of a creative bunch. My husband's an artist and musician. We live in Milwaukee, and we've lived here for a long time. My husband's been in Milwaukee his entire life. I lived other places for a very short time, but I've been in Milwaukee a long time. And I've been running my own business as a self-employed tarot reader now for close to 30 years, which is really kind of rare in this field, especially that I'm full-time doing this work. And so my life is um, pretty busy right now. You know, between I have a book out, I'm working on new books, and I have a very busy tarot schedule. I'm usually booked about a month in advance. And uh, I have 
got a lot going on, so I'm I'm a busy, busy gal. Did you ever years ago try to work for other people and realize that that doesn't work for you, or did you know 30 years ago that you wanted to be running your own show, be your own boss, have your own business? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I had um, a few quote-unquote regular jobs, but they were never really totally regular. My first quote-unquote regular job was I worked in an office when I was about 17. I was doing payroll then. And um, anyhow, after I left that job, I was a stay-at-home mom for a little while. And then after a divorce and getting back into the workforce, I was trying to, you know, figure myself out. And I got a job at a bike messenger firm which was you know, technically a regular job, but it wasn't a regular job because the boss was super laid back. He's just like, hey, whatever you come in and do the job, just do it. I'm like, oh, hmm, interesting. <laughs> so I kind of got used to being able to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And then the next job I got was bartending because uh, I had moved back from a location I was living out, out of state. And then I moved back here and started bartending because I thought, you know, I just don't know what I want to do right now. I know I don't want to do something normal and regular, and I don't want to work for the man, but I don't know what. And what really ended up happening is I was starting to bring my tarot cards into work. Of and course. people, <laughs> Yeah, because I was uh-huh. on a boring shift. I wasn't a very good bartender. Okay. <laughs> and what ended up happening, you know, is that more people were coming in to get those tarot readings, and that's what inspired me to go off and do my own business. And once I started that, I never looked back. I can't imagine working for somebody else. And I knew back in the day, too, that I was never a good fit for um, following orders, let's put it that way. I yeah. am much happier when I'm doing my thing my way. And having the space to breathe, um, which is so important. Hmm. So we share two of those things that you just mentioned. One is not being able to follow orders, <laughs> not, not doing that well, um, and really knowing that you needed to work for yourself. And also I bartended in my hmm. early 20s as well, and I think it's fabulous training to be a tarot reader and to be yes. a therapist. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're listening to all kinds of people's problems. And it's so funny, when I was a young woman, my father all, my father was an older parent, and he always thought the best job for a woman is a secretary. Mm. And I always remember back then feeling like I knew I wasn't meant to be doing pushing papers for someone else. Um, I knew I also wasn't meant to be slinging drinks. You know, I just knew that my vibe was more... Um, I like to say CEO material. So that was, I mean, that was some of the messages that you're getting passed down mm-hmm. um, from at least your father, from his generation, um, and yet you didn't take that on, or maybe you did for mm-hmm. some time, but realized you needed to question that and that that wasn't right for you. My um, Yes, absolutely. My early childhood conditioning around money was a very mixed bag. Uh, My parents, we grew up very poor. My father was Depression era. My mother was Depression era. They were older parents. They had that mentality. And my father, because he was born in 1915, it was a very different era. Women were secretaries. That's what you did. Um, So he thought that that would be the best life that I could possibly ever hope for. 
and you know that women don't run their own businesses. They, my parents were horrified when I started my own business. They thought, oh, my God, what are you going to do? No one's going to buy this. And they were shocked that it actually worked. You know, so I had those negative conditionings, but I also had another really weird conditioning that um, my father gave me an allowance. And I ended up having the best allowance in school, even though we were poor, because my mother was really ill, so I always had to do a lot of things around the home. And I got good grades, and so my dad would always reward me with a really nice little allowance. And so there was a different, there was another different seed that he planted, and that seed was, you know, if you do good work, you should get paid well. Okay. So I had these two really okay. bizarrely mixed message messages, and then I had another bizarre message: is my parents were also fiscally irresponsible, where they never managed their money with any care. But it, again, it came from that depression mentality. I think a lot of people, when you come from that depression mentality, either you hoard, yep. or when you get some money, you're so excited you just blow it and you don't know how to handle it. And that's the, my parents fell, fell into that second. Uh, route. So I have very strange mixed messages with money growing up. And that's really common, right, as I've seen mm-hmm. over all of these years. That there's, It's not one set of emotions. There are lots of mixed, and you even get different emo- different sets of beliefs and patterns um, and habits from your mom or your dad or whoever yeah. was raising you. You get two different sets completely, right? Um, yeah. And, and, yes, it's true. I've seen that with Depression Era. It's either of those extremes. They become very frugal, right, mm-hmm. very frugal. Um, my mom has a bit of that, even in her. She will get um, buy Folgers coffee on sale. She could care less about organic. You know, she mm-hmm. likes her Folgers coffee. Um, but there's nothing extra in the house. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, she has her ways where she does spend extra money. She goes to travel. So she does have her ways, right? She's not all frugal. Right. But with your parents, it was the other extreme. Yes. It was as soon as they got anything extra or any money coming in, they would spend or overspend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's really interesting, too, as adults, my three siblings are almost identical carbon copies of my parents, except they all have decent careers. My parents, you know, again, we struggled. We were um, very uh, lower middle class at best. My father worked in a factory, and there were four kids and a sick mother, so... You know, they didn't have a lot of the the extras. Now, my siblings all have decent jobs, but they manage their money almost exactly like my parents. That was actually my next question that you you segued right into was, (laughs) did you have siblings, and what was their role, and how were you all similar or different from each other? And what you're already sharing is that they, the two, both of them, uh, followed in your parents' footsteps. Right. Go ahead. I actually have three siblings, and they okay. are all exactly like my parents with the money habits. Okay. And it hasn't changed? It hasn't? Nope. Okay. There's no evolution. There's no questioning it. Um, you know, my both my brothers have gone bankrupt. Um, they live beyond their means. And my sister also does lives beyond her means. And so they will often blow that money or run up their credit cards or – I watch them make decisions that I look at, and it's like these are not decisions I would ever make in a million years. So what was different for you? You know, was it early on? Were you watching everything and aware of it and decided, 
I'm not going to be like them, I'm going to be the opposite, or I'm going to find a different path, or do you remember some of that? When, when was it? As a kid, as a teenager, early 20-something-year-old, what informed different choices for you? Well, as a child, I always remember, you know, I, I, was, I was blessed with, uh, I was a very bright child, and I had, was blessed with a lot of good common sense from early on. And I remember really being conscious of my parents doing things that I thought was so foolish. And I would always think in the back of my head at a very young age, I'm not going to do that. Nope, not going to do that. Um, So I know that even at a young age, I was uh, maybe more aware of the foolishness of the way they were doing things. So I just remember that consciousness early on. And then as I was an adult, you know, I just knew that I was going to manage things differently. And I've managed my money very well. I'm very careful with it. I'm very mindful of it. I still spend on things that I love, but, you know, I am not a fan of doing things that are way beyond my means. It's just not how I am. Okay, okay. And do you remember, I mean, you said you grew up, First, I think you said poor, but then you said lower yes. middle class. Lower middle class, poor. I mean, we struggled. Okay. We really struggled. There, there were times where it was, you know, very tight in the household, especially because mom was sick all the time. And I remember an incident so clearly when I was a young girl. I was in seventh grade, and there was a gal who came up to me, and she was a mean girl. And she said, "I want to ask you if you, if you're poor." And I was very ashamed, and I said, no. She goes, well, are you rich? And I said, no. And she looked me up and down, and she said, you're poor. Hmm. And her last name, by the way, ironically, was Worth. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so I was quite aware that we didn't have the extras. You know, there were times where I couldn't go on certain things in school because the money wasn't there. Hmm. So we, we did struggle quite a bit. So there, there were needs or wants that yes. were not being met. Yes, absolutely. Up. Okay. Dentist bills? Mm-mm. No, if yeah. you go to the dentist and you're poor, you don't get the fillings and the crowns. You get the tooth pulled. Yeah, yeah. It still feels like going to the dentist is you need to have so much money, you know. Yes, it's expensive. To go to the dentist, yeah. Did you, you know, at that age make a decision to... I don't know, make more money or to yes. become middle class at some point or to be able to have your needs and wants or Well, I went to work early and, as a kid, you know, to make sure that I had money coming in. Um, so money was very important to me because that represented, you know, freedom and it represented being able to get my own needs met. And so I was um, went to work early, but all my siblings went to work early too. You know, you don't find one lazy person in our family because they also realized that our parents weren't going to be able to do those things for us. So we all worked. That was yeah. it. We worked. We got jobs. And um, as I got older, I've always worked, except for a brief time when I uh, was a stay-at-home mom. But it was always, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to earn this. I am going to manage this carefully. And I was, again, very mindful about that. Yeah. So you learned um, how to work hard. Yes. Um, and work early on, and were you able to keep all of the money, or did some of it have to go back into the family? Oh no, when I was uh, once I was making my own money, that was mine. Okay, that, that was didn't yours. go back into the family. That was mine. Okay, 
that was yours. Okay. Hmm. And also about the piece around, you know, I'm, did you ever say I'm going to move into a different class? Was that important to you? Absolutely. I never wanted to be living poor. I don't like being poor. You know, and there, there's, you know, and that sounds terrible to say that to some people. My parents would probably think that was a very classless thing to say. But I did not enjoy being poor. I didn't find anything about it noble or humble or I felt the feeling instead was desperation and shame. And I don't like feeling those feelings. I wanted to feel secure and safe. So what was important for me uh, was really defining what is secure and safe for me. And that means, you know, not having a lot of debts. It means money in the bank. It means um, really making sure that I have awareness of what's there and how it's being handled. So, um, you know, no, I definitely wanted to be out of that as soon as I could. But, again, it's so interesting that you can have siblings and we all do things slightly differently. Yeah. Or you do, you know, in my family we're all a little different. My brother and sister were saving money at age five. I wasn't saving. Safe and mm. Security and safety were not my things. I had so many desires when I was young. I had to yeah. learn how to tame them or contain them, right? Um, but for you it was security and safety where for your siblings, they grew up in the same environment, same yep. economic class, same situation. And maybe, we don't know, they're not here, but maybe they made the choice of, I just want to have what I want, or I want extra things, or I want to be able to buy frivolous things, or just yep. be able to show that I have money. Or right, There's so many different versions of this. Right. That they took a different route, or they responded, reacted differently to the environment you grew up in. Because some people feel you grow up in one class, and this is what you know, and your needs or wants are not being met. And so how do you learn how to do that? How do you learn how to do that for yourself? How do you learn to give that to yourself? You know, how do you move yourself from one place to another? Right. right? Well, you know, what's really interesting is I had a twist of fate when I was young, too. Uh, my first husband, who I've been, he's the father of my children, who I've been divorced from many, many years ago, um, his family actually had a lot of money. Okay. So it was very intriguing suddenly you know, here I am, I'm married, I'm very young, and I'm in this family now where they never worry about money. And that was a very different mindset then. So when we got a divorce a couple years later after the kids were uh, of a certain age, you know, all that was gone, and then I had to start over from scratch again. Okay, okay. And was that an issue with the two of you at all, that the different backgrounds that you came from? Um, I know you were so young. I mean, if if yeah. I, I wasn't able to, I did, I had some self awareness in my early twenties, but not as much as I do. Let's say, you know, even in my thirties, let alone forties. Right. Did did you have conversations about money and the different backgrounds you came from, and how did that impact your? It marriage? was it was definitely a problem because you know I wasn't used to having that, and he saw it then as a way to assert control. He saw so, who? He saw having money was a way to having, assert control. I see. Okay. So now I had a new problem. <laughs> okay. You know, and it's like, oh, for him, money is control. Money means power, and that wasn't what I wanted either. I didn't want, okay. you know, what I grew up with my parents. I didn't like their message. I didn't like his message either. Mm. And that wasn't good enough for me. And I'm like, nope. I don't want someone who's going to lord it over me. I want to feel, again, secure and safe. And that's not a secure feeling when you have a partner like that. Right, where they feel they have final say because they're making more, earning more, or have 
or come for more money, so have more money, right? Have family money. Yes. Okay. So that was also <clears throat> a situation that you realized this doesn't feel good and right mm-hmm. and was also an impetus for you to then continue to forge your own path and find yeah. your own way to make to make your own money. I wanted to be independent and I wanted yeah. to be secure. Yeah. And yeah. I was very clear about that, you know, early on. And that was a brief foray into something and I'm like, Nope, this isn't right. This isn't healthy. My money needs to be secure and safe, but it needs to be healthy. Okay. It can't come with conditions and weird stuff. Same with love. You know, love, and when you bring love and money together, it can never come with those kinds of issues. If one partner is being greedy or being controlling or being a spendthrift um, to the point where it's hurting the relationship, that's not healthy. I don't want any of that. Uh, so many women and some men find themselves in that situation yes. where one person earns more or comes from family money and feels as though they had have more of a say or have the control and put a lot of conditions. And I know so many women in that situation. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard one to deal with and work with and especially if you have children with a person, which you did, but you stay married and it goes on for many years. Some people would love to leave and they don't know how and on and on, you know. Yeah. Um, So you, that was pretty brave and powerful for you to to leave that and become a single mom for a period of time. Yep. Yeah? Yeah. I'll give him credit. He was a very good father to his children, just not a very good husband. And even with his children, there were strings always attached with the money. There's always strings attached with them. Um, you know, like when they were in college and he was funding it, then there was always, like, rules you had to follow. So he he had a lot of issues around that money, too. Yeah. Well, he probably had tons of conditions put on him, right? Yeah, and, he did. And maybe had yet to sit down and question all of those conditions or realize that he did not have to pass that on to his own children, right? So Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to some of we've we've already kind of hit some of my um questions on my list, but let me go back to one of my first questions that I want to be asking everyone and then we'll hit more into family and lineage and what is the main emotion that comes up for you? around emotion excuse me what is the main emotion that comes up around money for you so what emotion do you see frequently happen what combination what cocktail emotions and maybe you can even compare where you are now to where you were i don't know 10 years ago 20 years ago even growing up mm-hmm. well for me the feelings around money are always a positive one because i do like having money so when money comes in, I'm always happy to see it. You know, for me, I always view it as a positive thing. I don't have any money as dirty things. I look at money as something that can help me do good in the world, and it can provide, again, the same word, security and safety. You know, those words vibrate very strongly. So for me, that's usually the vibe I have around money. Um, I'm very lucky that I don't have a lot of negative mindsets around it, especially considering my upbringing. But uh, it's usually a happy thing for me. I always am happy to receive it. And if I look back at where I was in my childhood, my childhood, again, was uh, we struggled a lot. We didn't have a lot of nice things. And 10 years ago, that's when I really started getting the kind of security I wanted. You know, the early times, the early start of my business, 
I started my business with like on a shoestring and I left that bartending job. So there wasn't a lot of money that came in, but I managed it well and I did okay. And about 10 years ago, when I really started learning how to market and put myself out there more, my income did a lot better. And now the income's doing really well. And more importantly, I'm on track to my most important goals. And my most important goals is the whole idea of becoming debt-free, and that means paying off this house. And because of my money management skills, I'm going to have my house paid off in about a year, year and a half, and it's going to be paid off 15 years early. Okay. Okay. Which is a very good feeling for me. So this is something that you've been – do you feel like you're chipping away at it? Is it small increments? Is it larger steps and leaps? I mean, it sounds like you've just been chipping away at this for years. Chipping away would be a good word. Okay. Chipping away, slowly building. I'm very methodical, very – I do a planning every year. I I sit down. I create a budget for myself for the year. Uh, I manage all the household income, and my husband and I make decisions together, but I manage it all because I also really enjoy handling money. I enjoy managing it. I like doing record keeping. I'm actually quite nerdy around uh, quite nerdy around all things money. And, so, and that's unusual because some people are and some people aren't. Or someone like me surprised the hell out of myself when I realized I love bookkeeping. Yes. <laughs> I love it. No. <laughs> I instead of throwing away my bank statements and not knowing and not having clarity and being completely freaked out and hyperventilating, I can learn a bookkeeping system and my brain both sides can work together and this is incredible. So not all creative people feel that they can be nerdy about bookkeeping, let alone fall in love with it at some point. Right? I but, enjoy it. You know, I am so <laughs> nerdy about it. I even color code my checkbook. Okay. Okay. So this is this is a creative process for you, you know, this is fun for you. Mm-hmm. This keeps you calm and keeps you on track with these qualities, security and safety, which you've been going after since you identified the need for this, but right. as a, you know, as a youngster, as a teenager. Yeah. yeah, it's really what's driven me and you know, all the decisions that I make, they're always about, do I feel secure around this? Does this, you know, does this make sense for me? It's that common sense, that need for security, the need for safety. All of that is wrapped together in my whole vibe around my finances. And, you know, it's so funny about the record-keeping, too. Um, there's so much pleasure for me to sit down and to look what comes in, to write the numbers, and I do it all by hand the old way because there's something about it that is very meditative, mm. and it helps me to be extremely mindful and aware of what's coming in, what's going out, where it's going, and it just feels like a meditative, like a spiritual practice actually, um, which may sound weird to some, but for me that's what it is. And it's it's you know a lot of times I'll be busy doing other things, and then I'm going to I say to myself, now I'm going to treat myself to doing some paperwork mm. and record-keeping because, again, it feels like a spiritual practice for me. So that's how we've come to it as well. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously not that out there for me. I mean, for 11 years I used QuickBooks, though, but every few days I would sit down, light my candle, eat my chocolate, and track yes. my numbers, right, instead of syncing it up with a bank where that's not connecting. To, that doesn't connect for me. But if I sit down every few days with my receipts and enter them just like you do, 
on paper, that's the same mm-hmm. thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then even my husband Forrest, he hated bookkeeping and then all of a sudden started tracking and and, and did sitting meditation for years and one day realized, oh, I, if I could um, somehow shift my relationship to, to this to realize that this is sitting meditation as well, and that's what he needed to do to be able to sit down. Um, yes. And, you know, see it as a spiritual practice. See it as a practice, right? Mm. Well, money is spiritual. It's energy when you think about it. Mm. It's pure energy. It's an exchange of energy. We are exchanging dollars for something that I'm providing. And then I take that money, my energy, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to use it to exchange maybe if I buy, like, I bought a brisket today at the um, grocery store. So, that's energy for the butcher who cut it up, for, you know, the people who, um, you know, the farmers, et cetera, et cetera, the grocery store, the way they market. We're always exchanging energy. And so when you think about it, it, it really is energy. So paying attention to your money, it's also an energetic practice. So do you ever get tripped up? Do you ever get off track? Has there been a time where you had a huge challenging money experience that you had to overcome or have there been little moments along the way where you lose track i mean part of me is hearing you don't lose track like you don't you don't get off track you are so clear about your goals and so you you connect into that all the time but are there ever missteps or getting off track or was there a big money challenge that you learned so much from well, there's actually a huge lesson I learned. Okay. I don't get off track. I stay on track. I am like, you know, I'm one of those people, I'm a reliable Roger, and I'm like that in every aspect of my life. You know, so one thing you can count on, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And when it comes to money and stuff, if I have a goal, I'm going to stay on it. But now my husband is a very different mindset. My husband actually, he's an artist, and he has the money is dirty mindset. And let me tell you, that was one of the biggest challenges in this marriage. Um, He has more of like that hippie, I don't want to deal with money, I don't like money, it's dirty, all rich people are bad. And there were times where that really created some conflict because here I am, I'm very ambitious for making it, I love making money. And he makes money, but the attitude about it was really different. Um, So we had some conflicts in our relationship. And I remember one time, too, and I always felt that there was a part of me that felt like this is holding me back a bit. This is holding me down, and it's not allowing me to do what I need to do to reach the goals where I want to be secure because of his mindset. Mm -hmm. So I remember years ago, and we were walking, we were doing our nightly walk, and he says, well, you need to be careful because if you make more money, we're going to be into the next tax bracket, and that's not good. Mm-hmm. And, and, you're, and you're like, what? Oh, <laughs> what yes, and say? something snapped. Well, he used to say that all the time. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I want to make so much money that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And something snapped in him, too. And from that day forward, he, he stopped doing that. He started doing a lot of processing around where his money mindset came from, uh, why he had those attitudes. He really had to surrender that and start looking at money much differently. And he became more cooperative with me 
vibe-wise and in how things were managed. And one of the wonderful things that when I took the Art of Money program is, you know, one of the things you talked about, too, was having a, a money day with your partner. And so we have our Money Mondays is what we call it, is where we sit down, we go over the money, we talk about where it's going, what's happening, what needs to happen, and it's really been great for our relationship. That was one of the biggest challenges and setbacks was then dealing with somebody who really doesn't like money. And i got to tell you, that's not an easy thing to deal with. And it's so common, right? Because yeah. if you're an artist, if you come from more of a hippie background, if you're alternative in any way, like let's live off the grid, let's live in an ashram, let's, you know, let's figure out other ways, let's figure out other economic systems that work better for us because mm-hmm. money is the root of all evil, right? I'm just going with this this other view, right, That this other perspective that some people have yes. for, for a while, right? And so how long were you together before that, that walk where he said that and, you know, you, you were horrified and kind of snapped and then whatever you said in that moment also shifted something in him where he said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look deeper. I'm going to ask some mm-hmm. questions. I'm going to, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go deeper here instead of just being stuck in my way because that's a standstill and so many couples mm-hmm. go through that where one person wants to look at their relationship to money, move forward, look at their numbers, go deeper around their money story, and the other person has a story, doesn't want to look, doesn't want to go deeper, is afraid, has shame, you know, is it's stuck in their own story, right? And I usually say, okay, if one person's ready, you go forth. Mm-hmm. And hopefully at some point your your partner is going to look over your shoulder and say, can I join you? Or can I – but sometimes there's that gap there. It could be a few years. It could be many years. It could be a few months. Yeah, so can you share a little bit more about that? We were together about a decade before okay. that happened. Okay, that's thank you because that's so honest and real, right? Yep. Yeah. It was a okay. decade, and that means a decade of – being afraid to make more money, okay. um, of him having some self-sabotaging things. And, you know, it really made me aware of, uh, it's like, wow, I have this really great relationship with money, but everybody else around me doesn't. You know, my parents, my first husband, now this husband. Um, so I had all these people around me who always had a very different idea about money. And it felt, um and this is going to sound awful, so it felt like everybody was holding me back from really making money and managing it the way I wanted it to be. And so it was. It took about 10 years before I finally snapped, and I'm like, no, this is it. This is not going to happen anymore. You're not going to keep this attitude here. It's going to change. It has to change. And it's, it was the best thing we ever did. And having those discussions was so important and so rich and you know, financially, as we are getting closer towards all of our goals, um, you know, the next step then is we're planning our retirement now. But and you guys we'll are now going on your second. You're going on. You're about to finish your second decade, decade together, haven't you? We've been together like 20. Uh, it'll be 26 years. Oh, wow. great! So you've since that first 10 years, you've now been working together um, yes. for 16 years. Meaning, like this doesn't happen overnight. It's not like oh, you just you you give someone an ultimatum, you say that's it, 
this needs to shift, this really isn't working for right. me or for us or where I see us going, and I need you to go deeper here, look deeper. It's It's been 16 years. Well, yeah, um, and it didn't yeah. happen overnight. Even I would yeah. probably say the last six years were okay. when we really got on track together. Okay. okay. So, again, there was a decade of undoing. And now six years of really building and teamwork and high-fiving. So we're looking at 10 years of struggle, 10 years of trying to, like, undo, and then probably the last six years of really being aligned. Hmm. So it's been a long process. Long. It's, a long, it's a long journey, and we all need to hear this, right? We need to hear the reality of how long this really takes. And yes. that this is a lifelong journey, right, that – we weren't given a financial education growing up. Mm-mm. Most of us have shame. Most of us don't have a healthy relationship to money. You didn't grow up in a healthy relationship to money, but you found a path where you do. I mean, you may have had some extremes, some reactions, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so and so here we are as adults, or we get into relationships, and it takes years and years to work on it, to unravel, to fine-tune, and every year we're updating, right, our goals and getting on the same team more. And I love that it was 10 years of not being on the same team, Yep. you know, 10 years of unraveling everything, getting on the same team, and now six years of having money dates. Do you have them monthly, weekly? How how often do these happen? Every week we're talking about our money. Wow. Wow. Because we okay. have to stay, I want to stay on track, and I don't want to get sidetracked. Mm-hmm. So Can you describe, pretty, is it with a glass of wine? Uh, no, it's very profit. informal. It's just usually we're sitting down, we're talking about, here we are, this is where we're at. Um, you know, and also when the mortgage bill comes in, we're we're looking down, we're seeing where we're at. So it's just a lot of every week talking about it. Was it more formal when you began? Just yes. To get, okay. Less okay. formal now. Now it's just, okay. here's where we're at. This is what's going on. Um, this this just came in. Let's look at this. Let's make discussions and decisions around this. So, you know, it's like that. It's just, it's not real super formal. Um, I would like to have it more formal again because it's fun to have it formal. But, you know, life has just been really busy right now. So it's it's kind of more informal like a coffee date. Yeah, yeah. And that, and I think at the beginning it needs to be more formal because it's yeah. so new, it's so unusual. There's so much blame and shame and yelling and crying and swearing. Usually, and that's what that's for a lot you know, of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the beginning, until you start creating a groove and having more money conversations and having more money dates, and then they be, can, can become more looser, right? Or yeah. the 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 terrain is more comfortable. It's more loving. It's more compassionate. Okay. Right. One of the things we love to do is we like to talk about it when we're doing our walks. Mhm. Mhm. You know, so it's like we're exercising, but we're also exercising our financial smarts at the same time. Okay. Right. You don't have mountains by you, but you have lakes and woods, right? So you guys just walk around the neighborhood. Yeah, just around the neighborhood. Yeah. We just discuss our plans, our goals, what's working, what's not working. Um, you know, where we should invest our money next, and you know, uh, all of that. And, again, right now our big thing is we're almost there to paying off that house. Okay. And from there then it's all our biggest plans then is all about stashing everything away for retirement. Okay. So how have you been able to 
you know, stay in the present moment, enjoy now, um, while having these larger goals that take time, take years. Mm-hmm. How have well, you been I, able to? Go ahead. I'm very future oriented, of course, because of my career. You know, um, so the career keeps me always thinking about the future, and I'm always okay. looking towards the future. It's much easier for me to look ahead. I'm not one of those people who looks back. I don't look back and say, oh, my God, all these regrets. I look back, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Let me look ahead and figure things out and how to get from point A to B. So how I stay present, though, is one of my money practices is every day I sit down and I write down how much money has come in. Now, that money may be the money that came in through business or maybe it came in from you know, a gift card or it might be money that came in that he earned or money I found on the street. I sit down every day and I write down what came in. That's what keeps me in the present moment. Uh, And also when I get my bills, I sit down, I always take care of them immediately the same day that they come in. That has me anchored in the present. I balance my checkbook as soon as the statement comes in. So those are ways that I stay very present. Otherwise, I'm always looking ahead. So fascinating. Okay, because a lot of people have a hard time thinking about the future. It doesn't come natural to them. I've had to train myself. Forrest and I both have had to train ourselves to think about the future. Mm-hmm. We're way more in present moment in the past. You know. Yeah. So it's so fascinating that your nature and because of the work that you do as a tarot reader and all the readings yeah. you're doing that you're so future-oriented. Um, yep. And that you have to have practices that keep you in the present moment. Yeah. Right. And also, yeah. you know, now I'm going to talk a little astrology. I have three planets in Virgo. So I am very detail-oriented. I'm very much about order and management and planning. In fact, one of the interesting things that I found through meditation is, you know, people have monkey minds. I have a planner mind. I instantly start planning something. I might be in meditation. I'm planning my dinner. I mean, this is insane. So do that. Like, you've got to sometimes just stop planning and just be Teresa. But I naturally always go to planning mode. Mm, okay. So funny. Okay. Yeah, this is where it's so great to know what our nature is, right? Um, mm-hmm. And to meditation work helps you to recognize that. that. Yes. 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 So what's coming up for me now is about parenting Mm. because you were raised with your parents and you responded, reacted one way, your siblings reacted a different way, right? What was it like for you? I mean, you were so young. So we're the opposite ends of the spectrum. You and I always talk about this. You had your kids at 20, right? And I had my son at 40. So we're the opposite end of the spectrum and – I can't even imagine parenting, um, let alone parenting around money at that age. Oh, Can my God. Can you share God. a little bit about the journey of how you parented? What were you trying to teach them? Were you trying to teach them about money? Um, and, and how has that worked out with them in their 20s? How, how, how has parenting and money gone for you? Well, the positive and negative. How about that? Let's talk about the negative first. Okay, Now, great. once I went through the divorce, and then I'm struggling financially, and he's still doing well, because when I got a divorce, I didn't take anything, which people find really horrifying. And I could have walked away with a nice little chunk, but, you know, my integrity is always more important. And to me, it was like, this is something that you used to control me, and I'd rather have that go to the kids. Mm. So I'm not taking anything. You can keep it, uh, because I can't. I'm not, I can't be sold like that. So I ended up having to really struggle. My quality of life went way down. 
in the meantime, of course, he's got plenty of money. So my kids had two very different messages. Right. They had a dad who had a lot of money with a family who had a lot of money. And then I was really struggling. You know, I was very frugal. So I, in the beginning, for especially when I connected with my uh, now husband, so my children ended up having two very distinctly different messages. They in different households. In you different know, households. Yeah. The father with money who controlled them, okay. and then me, who was, you know, trying to be very frugal, managing every nickel in the beginning, and then my husband, who thought money was dirty. <laughs> right. So my poor children had that, and then they had to watch my parents do really stupid things with money, and my siblings do really stupid things with money. I would probably say... Um, for their childhood, they got really a lot of mixed messages, and that's I wasn't totally conscious of that. I was just, you know, trying to make my own ends meet. So as adults, we've also had to unravel their money stories. Now, their father passed away uh, about a decade ago, and he left them with a nice inheritance. So one of the things that happened for my children was they had an inheritance. They've got plenty of money, but because of all these other messages they've received, they have a lot of anxiety around it that we've had to work through. So I've been consciously working with them to really unravel all the money damage stories that came around that from their dad and from me and my parents and all of that. And I will say that they are handling their money quite well now and enjoying their money, but at the same time they're not being foolish with it. Okay. So what you're honoring is we all have money stories, right? Yeah. We all get mixed messages, different messages. I mean, the story you're sharing is is really common, especially in a divorce, or there's two people come together from different money backgrounds or economic classes or income levels and right? And then Yeah. And then kids are being raised in very different environments. Some with a lot, some with a little. Um but but that we all have stories to work through. And yes. that we need to do the work, right? We need to do the work to look at it, talk about it, unravel it, become aware of where we come from and what's working and what's not, and stepping yes. into a new way. So that's what you've been doing with your children is they're in their late 20s, early 30s? They're in their that, early 30s. Okay. Yeah, and has that happened in the last five years more with them? or? Oh, yes. It's, it's okay. especially happened. You know, it's really interesting, though. Um, there was a time when their dad was still alive, where there were a lot of issues around him with this money stuff. and uh, But at that time, you know, they were grown adults, so I wasn't involved in any of that, but I had to help them sort out that. Um, and, you know, so there was a lot of sorting of things out. But once he passed away and they received their inheritance, I would probably say also the last six years there's been a lot of work around that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So two more big questions. Um, how... Do you define money legacy? What does that mean to you at this time? You mean for myself or what I'm intending on leaving in the world or? All of it. Hmm. Well, of course, it always goes back to the feeling of security. Okay. I want to feel secure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but also I want to leave behind a lot of creative works. So creativity and security are probably the two words that vibrate really strong for me when I think of legacy. Okay. Hmm. 
So before I move on to the final question, I want to ask that because this has come up over and over, right? Security for you? Yes. And now creativity, you know, living a life yeah. of creativity. But also for me, integrity um, with you, yes. Teresa, because I, it's unusual, you know, to, in so many moments and stories that you described where you were getting a divorce with young kids and you chose not to take any money. That's just really unusual, you know. Oh, it's yes. Really it was, my, my lawyer thought I was insane. Yeah, and my family was first of all they were horrified that I got a divorce, and then they were able they were doubly horrified that I didn't take money because you know that that was a lot of money, and I said nope, it doesn't mean anything because it comes with strings attached. That's not how I want my money. I want my money to be free. I want to be free. My freedom was more important. Okay, okay. So freedom here, which hasn't mm-hmm. been mentioned, is underlying I think a lot of this. Yeah. That's why I don't work for the man. I have to be free. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, what is security? Security gives you freedom. You know, ultimately, if we boil it all down, it comes to, it comes down to freedom, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't feel free when you're struggling and poor. You don't. You don't feel free when you're with somebody who holds that money over you like a weapon. You don't feel free when you're working in a job you hate just to make a living. You know, none of that feels free. Hmm. So having money in the bank not having bills, not having, you know, anybody else attaching their junk to it is really important because I want to feel like I can breathe. And you were given some really interesting scenarios and experiences to test that, right? We yeah. we, we we make the meaning, so I can't say, oh, you were given this test, you know, but you were, you were presented with scenarios um, where you could have just said, I'm taking the money. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to deal with these conditions because now I have money, which is the opposite of what I did not have, you know, what I didn't have growing up. And for some people, yeah. that would have been, that would have been the choice. It's but so when funny. Presented, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny because my ex-husband years ago, one day we were having a conversation. Once we got civil, we got civil when the kids became teenagers, by the way, because suddenly the teenagers. Let me tell you this: if you and your ex-husband are on good terms when you have teenagers, it comes in handy. That was, well, as soon as the kids became teenagers, we got on the same page with our parenting. And it was really good because our kids are so well-adjusted. They're wonderful. And it wasn't like that when they were younger. He was really vindictive. He was very angry. Um, but we got on the same page. And one time he said to me, it took, he goes, you know, it took a lot for you to walk away and take nothing. You left all that security. And he said, I don't know of any other woman who would ever do that. He said that took a lot of balls. I respect that. Mm-hmm. That was huge for me. Mm-hmm. That was huge for him to acknowledge that. Yeah, for him to acknowledge that. It was huge, but also you had already done that. You had done that mm-hmm. for yourself. You claimed yep. that, made that choice, right? So it's wonderful that he said that, but you also almost didn't even need it. But it no. was wonderful that he came to that awareness and then honored you, right, for for not taking his money, you know. Yep. For, and and this is where you did choose freedom mm-hmm. over this concept of security because security is one of those things that um, it's one of your guiding principles, but then when actually confronted or challenged, you chose freedom over that because yes. security is something that in a long life there's ebbs and flows, there's ups and downs, 
things happen. Life happens. People lose money uh, completely out of the blue. Um, I'm thinking of the Janine Roth story. Her book is called Lost and Found. Have you ever heard sto- her story? She's no. The, she's written many books about food and mm-hmm. and your bo- and our bodies and how to learn to eat um, and how to have a healthy relationship with food and our body. She, that's that's her body of work and um, stuffing away money for years and years and years, and then one day got the call that all of her money that she had invested with Bernie Madoff was gone. Poof. In an instant, almost all of it. There was still a little chunk. And then her work after that was to actually find out what true security meant, Yeah. which was not about tucking away money for years and having all of that money. It was actually about her friendships. Yes. her marriage, her trust in her God, and on and on. And then she did start accumulating money again, but that was just an enormous yeah. moment and wake-up call around her own relationship yep. to security. Yeah. Well, How yeah, did that I, connect and resonate for you? Yeah, That totally that. resonates because, yeah. again, walking away and having to make it on my own and start my own business and all these things, the one thing that I came to discover was, first of all, walking away, my freedom is more important than that security. But I also came away with another thing. I became very financially resilient because when you've lost a big chunk of money or when you've walked away from a situation like that and have had to start over from scratch, um, it's made me very uh, resilient. I always know I'm going to make it. Mm. I can completely rely on myself. I realize how powerful I am with my ability to make money and manage money. So it made me so resilient. I, it also made me financially fearless. I never worry about things. When people talk about the economy, I'm like, oh, doesn't impact me. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. It's not going to impact me. I am resilient. I am a force to be reckoned with. Uh, so I have a very fearless attitude about it. And, again, I, I just always know I'm going to be okay because I survived something really horrible. Yeah. yeah. And I went through a very difficult childhood and I made it through all that. I'm doing okay. So I'm like I know I'm always going to be okay. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. So as a way to complete, is there anything else in your money story that you would want to share that this conversation wouldn't feel complete if you didn't get to add one this last piece? to this conversation, knowing that this is not all of your money story, but um, these are these are many of the big pieces. Is there anything else? Hmm. I would probably say the other thing that was really challenging for me was investing in myself. Hmm. You know, when you grow up without a lot of money, and then you're also starting over from scratch without a lot of money, so much of the money in the beginning when I was making it was making sure that everybody was okay. So there were no, you know, getting my hair done. There was no um, buying clothes for myself. There was none of that. I very, I really didn't spend a lot of money on me ever. Um, I was always like the last person to get something. And I've had to change that. I've had to learn, you know, it's okay Sometimes for me to put myself first, and that means a massage or that piece of jewelry that I really want or a pair of good-fitting pants 
or going to the hairdresser once in a while. That was something I had to retrain myself because the one flip side of being frugal and wanting security sometimes is that you often then don't do anything nice for yourself. Right. And that's not healthy either. Mm-hmm. So I've had to relearn that. I'm still working on that one. Still mm-hmm. working on saying, you know, it's okay to buy yourself a new coat today. So that's the extreme, right, yep. of being frugal, right? There's there's unhealthy extremes on either side. There's unhealthy extremes on the side where your siblings went, right? And there's unhealthy versions of where you went. So yeah. being frugal not spending is, on me. Yeah, not spending on you, right? Not um, enjoying, not giving yourself the gift mm-hmm. of some of these wants and desires, right? That, yep. Yeah. Okay. Had to make sure everybody else is okay. Hmm. Although the one thing I've always been very indulgent with is food because <laughs> that's the one thing, though, that I don't scrimp on. I love to cook and eat. So, mm-hmm. um, But the other little essentials in life, you know, it's like, you know, let's, let's – Get that massage. It's okay. You need that. You're but the food it. is that just that's coming from you? Because in the last interview I did with a, a woman named Berna who comes from a Filipino American family mm-hmm. um, outside of San Francisco, and she said food has always been the number one priority expense extravagance. Yes. Like no holding back on food. Absolutely. That's always been my thing, food. But, you know, the other thing is growing up with parents who don't have a lot of money, the one thing they did have was a garden, and my mother was an amazing cook. So food, there's a lot tied in with food and money, and we always ate decent. So that's the one thing I was very blessed for. We always had meals on the table. Everything was made from scratch. Mm, That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay. So that's part of your lineage as well that came from... Um, your mother having a garden and being a wonderful cook and passing that yes. down to you. And she canned and did all those things that farm people mm-hmm. did. You know, and so for me, my indulgence is food, but my my food is very different than my mother's. I am indulgent. I am. I love the high end. I like going for the unusual. That is the one place where I am so absolutely unapologetically indulgent. I own over 200 cookbooks. And I use all of them. So, <laughs> wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. My wonderful. one biggest guilty mm-hmm. pleasure is yeah. I love that. Interesting. I think that I didn't ha- I didn't ask you that earlier, but I, you know, my mom, as I was mentioning, is very frugal, but she travels uh-huh. um, and has learned that you ne- even need to update your seat so you're in business class because she can fall asleep on airplanes and sleep the whole ride mm-hmm. and then have no jet lag, and so she that that has been one of her places, you know, where yeah. she's not frugal at all, and she fully enjoys. So I'm not you, frugal at all when it comes to food. <laughs> My son and I, when we were in Portland mm-hmm. recently, um, there's a restaurant I go to called Costanya. I go there once a year, and it's molecular gastronomy, and it's amazing. And the meal is like about 150 bucks, you know, so it's it's expensive. And my son, after we are done eating, he said, that is the most bougie meal I've ever eaten in my life. And I'm like, <laughs> when it comes to this kind of stuff, the food, all my travels, in fact, I plan them around where am I going to eat. I research meticulously to find interesting restaurants. Um, and that is, again, that is the one thing where I really gift to myself is good food, weird food, expensive food. I've seen the photos. Yeah, the photo shoot of when you're at that restaurant and on Facebook you're posting each, you know, each course. 
Yeah. And I'm just looking at it going, oh, my God, <laughs> that looks incredible. <laughs> or what is that? I don't even know what that is, you know. So, yeah, yeah, I've watched you. I've watched you enjoy that over the years, yeah. I didn't see a recent one, though. Maybe you didn't choose to do a photo shoot. I did a few, but not as many okay. as I did the last time. Okay. I thought I, I was worried I was making people, like, think I was obnoxious. No, well, you know, we're all different, but I loved it. I loved it. Teresa, thank you so much for joining me in this Money Memoir series. Thank you for being so honest and direct and open and and just going there with me and sharing these stories with everyone. I know it's going to be so incredibly supportive for everyone listening. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for joining me with this Money Memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps and blends therapeutic body-based practices with real-life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the art of money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.